You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. That's good family time, you know? I, uh, that's brought back just real fond memories of uh, sitting with my granddad. Um, this is going to be an insult. That's not me too. Toward the end of his life, uh, my, uh, my granddad, we would just sit around as a family, and my granddad would just talk about what God had done in his life. Uh, and the whole family, I don't know if you've been in a family like that, it was just the fondest memories of just reflecting on, on God. And, uh, and so if, if Joanna's grandmother, then I think we should get to call you grandpa. You know, I think it's only fair... That goes both ways. Uh, we really are trying to create a culture of prayer here at Red Sea. Uh, those pathways of, of uh, scripture, prayer, and worship. You know, every Sunday, uh, worship and, and, uh, and scripture, we, we do that pretty regularly. You know, we, we open up the word, we hear from God, we, uh, we sing in, in, in adoration. But prayer has always been a void. Uh, and so we want to uh, really be real proactive in that. And, and uh, with Doug stepping up as a deacon, this team that he's formed... Uh, we just want that to be a part of, of who we are as a family, to know that we can come and, and talk and lay our burdens down, and, and this to be a place where we really do find a refuge, you know, and that you wouldn't come in here and then leave carrying everything. So these people are going to be available to pray with you, and, uh, and we want to make that a part, a part of who we are as a church. Uh, so we are uh, going to uh, jump into the scriptures this morning. Uh, I'm not going to speak for very long. Uh, and so I know you guys have gotten a lot of information already. There's been a lot of truth presented, uh, but we want to stay true to the scriptures and continue to, continue to work through the book of Acts. Um, what you're going to see over the next month, which is the month of November, we're actually going to finish the book of Acts in November. Now, we're in chapter 16, and Acts has 28 chapters. Uh, so we're going to have to start doubling up and covering larger sections of scripture, but we're not going to teach through all of it. So I just want to encourage you guys, a part of your spiritual discipline individually is being in God's Word throughout the week. Continue to read through the book of Acts at home this week. Uh, and so I'm not, we're going to do chapters, chapter 16, but this week is technically chapter 16 and 17. Acts 17 is this bomb. It's, it's Paul going to Athens and, and going um, uh, into, uh, and, and say, talking about the idol to the unknown God. I mean, that's just a crazy passage. He's going to lay out the gospel to these people that don't know him. That's meat that we can go home and we can chew on. So just because we don't cover it here on a Sunday morning, I want to encourage you guys, go home, say the scriptures together, and continue to talk about it in our home community, even if we don't get it here. Um, so in Acts chapter 16, what we're going to see is uh, Paul's, the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey that he goes on. Uh, Billy, over the last two weeks, has really walked us through. Um, I started it. He did a big, the, kind of the middle and the end of, of, uh, of Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, this one's going to pick back up in, in, uh, in 16. Uh, it's going to start off with uh, Paul and Barnabas have been together. Now they're going to separate. We're going to see two missions begin to start. Uh, but the scriptures are going to follow Paul pretty closely on in, in what he does here. So uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Acts 16. Uh, I'm going to sit down. I hope that's okay. Uh, it's, uh, it's just a low-key Sunday, uh, and I'm exhausted. And so we, uh, we're just going to read the scriptures together, and you can look up to the screen if, I, if you don't have a Bible. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, a disciple there named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, uh, but his father was a Greek. 
And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Uh, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him uh, because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. Uh, and you can pull up the map as the next thing we're going to look at. And so Paul here, uh, there at the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas separate. Um, they want to go back on a mission, but Barnabas wants to bring John Mark. And if you remember uh, in the first missionary journey when they left uh, and went to Antioch, uh, the second Antioch, um, remember that John didn't continue on the mission. He kind of bailed out at that point. And, uh, and so he decided, okay, maybe we're getting too far from Jerusalem. I'm going to go back. And Paul and Barnabas went on by themselves. Uh, so this time when Paul's thinking about going on another missionary journey and Barnabas brings up John Mark, Paul's like, I can't trust him. I, he may bail in the middle of the mission. Uh, and so instead, Paul's like, hey, gonna, I, there's this guy named Timothy. He's a young guy. Uh, I can, he's well known in his area. I think he would be a great companion for the mission. Uh, but there's a problem with Timothy. He's not circumcised. Now, Timothy's mom is a Jew, but his dad's a Greek, which is the, hence the not, not circumcised. And that would be a problem if Paul brought him on this journey, because every time Paul went to a new place, he first went to the Jewish temple a lot of times. Wherever the, the group of Jews gathered, the synagogue in that town, he typically started there. Well, Timothy not being circumcised, he wouldn't have been able to come in. And so that would have been a hindrance to the mission. So him and Paul are going to get real intimate, and he's going to circumcise him so that he can continue to go on the mission with him into these places. Paul doesn't want there to be anything that's going to affect their ability to go into these places and to continue to share the gospel with the people. So he brings Timothy, and we know that Timothy is going to be a huge value to Paul later on. The language that he uses to talk to Timothy in books like First and Second Timothy, uh, he's just like his son. Uh, that uh, he's going to pour into him and see God use him to raise up leadership and a lot of these churches that they're going to plant in Ephesus and in the church in Thessalonica that we're going to see him go to on this journey. So he's going to pick up here, and in this map, basically what we have is, uh, I'm sorry, that's the best one that I could find. I know it's kind of hard to reach. Over here, um, right there is Derby, um, and that's where they're going to go to first because it says here... Um, they came also to Derby and to Lystra, and that's where he picks up Timothy. And then they're going to, uh, it says they're going to want to go somewhere else. And so what Paul is going to want to do here is he's going to want to go to Asia. So Paul's right here in Derby, and what he wants to do is to hook east, and he wants to take the gospel to Asia. Paul, Paul's just, you know, floored, wants to take the gospel to places that it isn't. Uh, and so he goes, he starts to take on that journey to take the gospel to Asia, and something really interesting happens. It says the Spirit stops him from doing that. And instead, he's going to continue, and he's going to go this direction. He's going to hop over to, to Troas here, and then they're going to they're gonna go across here to Philippi, uh, and then uh, all the way down, and, and, and I'm going to kind of end as they go down, and then Billy's going to pick back up next week. I'm sorry, I'm going to pick back up next week and continue the rest of Paul's second missionary journey. So, Paul wanted to go the complete opposite direction, you know? I, and he said, I want to go this way. But it, look, look at what actually happens here. And then I want us to have a little dialogue about this. And so it says in verse 6, And so they went through the region of, of, of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. 
And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, that really made me think, of what, what did that look like? You know, for Paul to want to do one thing, and for the Spirit of God, it says that Jesus, the, you know, the resurrected Jesus that's with the Father, that Jesus did not allow Paul to go this way. Instead, he called him to go another direction and to do something. So if, if some of this language is unfamiliar to you, we know that, that God exists as one God in three persons. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each one of the, the persons of, of God each have different functions, different roles and abilities um, that they operate in. Now, God's Spirit is the part that we see the tangible outworking here on earth a lot. And so when, when believers are, are called to go and do something, the power that they feel to do it, that's given by the Spirit. Uh, the gifts that Christians have many times, uh, whether it be of, of prophecy, of, of teaching, those are given by the Spirit. We also know that there's fruits of the Spirit, love and peace and patience. Those are something that we get when, when God's Spirit comes and lives inside of us. So the language here is, is the outworking of God in your life right now. I would love to know what that looks like in you guys' life. How do you know, like, have you guys learned how to sense God's Spirit in your life? Have you felt God telling you to do one thing or you wanting to do one thing and God ever told you to do something completely different? And how did you know um, that that was God? Um, we've been trying to, to really participate in conversation throughout this series. And so uh, I would ask you guys to, if somebody has a, an example of that, I would love to hear it. Royce has a microphone back here. Um, because as we've asked these questions throughout this series, I've loved the conversations that we've had. It's been so encouraging for me to hear about how God is working in you guys. Uh, and we also want to record it for those people that aren't here on a, on a Sunday morning. So uh, who would like to share about I guess a time when, when they've recognized God's Spirit um, telling them to do something. Uh, and how did you know that was God's Spirit? Okay, microphone first. Christy. So, um, uh, I think I've told part of this story before, but um, one night I was laying in bed and thinking about praying for a neighbor girl who has night terrors. And I said, yeah, I'll pray for her, God. I can, you know, next time I have the opportunity. And I really felt like God was telling me to go right then. And it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I was like, I can't go. I'm not going to go knock on their door, God. So, but I think the way that I knew that it was God's spirit telling me that was there's just an unease and an unrest. And I couldn't sleep until I got up and, and obeyed. Um, and all the lights were off, and so I didn't end up knocking on the door then, but it gave me the opportunity to talk to them about it later. Um, and, like, even now, I feel like when the Spirit is talking to me, I, my heart feel I, my heart goes faster. My heart feels like it needs to, my mouth needs to talk, and my heart needs to obey. Mm -hmm. 
and I can't rest until I'm obedient. Cool. Anybody else? How do you recognize God's spirit when he's talking? I am new here, but um, I recently left a home I had lived in for 20 years and a town I had lived around for 40 years because my daughter and her family live up here in Portland. And at Christmas, my daughter said to me, why don't you move up here, Mom? There's no reason why you should stay down there. And I really had never considered it. So I started praying about it, and um, God really put it on my heart. And I, I began to feel like... Um, there was no reason for me to stay. And so I put my home up for sale, and it sold in six weeks. Wow. <laughs> and um, I, my daughter found a duplex for me the next weekend, and I put a deposit on it. And everything just fell into place for me to move up here. And within two weeks of when I moved up here, my daughter had emergency surgery for uh, an appendix. And um, I was able to step in with her family and help take care of the baby that she had had four months before and the three-year-old. So um, I think that for me, it's that God provides outward, um, an outward yes to the decision when I decide to follow what he's telling me to do. That's interesting because the yes comes after you decide to follow. You know, and yes. we want the yes so that we'll follow. Yes. Uh, but God wants the obedience. Right. That's great. But there was a peace. Mm -hmm. There was still a part of me that was saying, this is going to be really hard. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to leave everything that's been familiar to me for a very long time. I raised my children down there. Mm -hmm. But um, there was definitely a yes. Great. And what, what's your name? Pam. Great. Thanks for sharing Um, I'd like to share a time when I was doing some campus ministry um, and just felt like there were a couple of gang shootings that were on campus and felt like the best way to respond to that was through prayer and prayer walking. Um, and so I put together this prayer walking plan and I got a map of the campus and God said that we needed to pray, and so I prayed over the map of the campus, and I drew out three routes. Okay, we're going to get a team of people together, and there were enough people that came, and we were able to cover three routes on the campus. And then as I was prayer walking with my group, um, we went to one of those spots where a gang shooting had happened, and we sat at this cafe, and we started praying. And as we prayed, we were praying for this corner, we were praying for, um, for the youth that gather there at this bus stop. Um, we were praying for God's safety and his blessings on this corner. And in the midst of us looking, not even looking, but our eyes closed, you know, and these prayers happening, we hear tires screeching and cars almost hitting each other. And it was just a very real situation of God saying, we needed you to be here right now at this moment in time to pray so that this accident wouldn't happen and so that people wouldn't die or get hurt at this very corner. And so it was a really real way to see that God needed us to pray and he had called us to be there. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Any, uh, any, 
Go ahead. God talks to us all, all the time. Hmm. Call it your conscience, call it whatever you want. In your heart, you know. And when we're at our lowest times and at our, our hardest struggles, he, he leads us where to go. We choose to follow or not. Hmm. And every time I myself have not followed my heart or followed what I knew was right, it has ended disastrously. And once I'm back listening to my heart and what he truly wants for me is when I have been at my happiest and when things go well and when I have actually found true friends, not false people. So I think we need to listen to our hearts because he's there all the time. Thanks for sharing. I'm Katie. I'm Royce Monica's other daughter-in-law. And um, I was going to talk about um, when Austin and I decided to expand our family. And um, I'm in the middle of a graduate school degree down at the U of O. And we had been married less than a year. And I had my own thoughts and a million other people um, saying, you know, you get your degree first and then you then you move on and do other things and family things. And it was a lot of people just had this standard norm of how you start your family when you're in my field or whatever. And, um, and I was right on board with that. And then it was just the Lord tugging on my heart at different moments and seeing different families and feeling the Holy Spirit move in me and, and seeing what was important to me. And then, so I think for us, what was really the confirmation was that the Lord spoke to us separately and we came to each other and said, I've been thinking about this. I've been, I've been feeling a, a tug on, on my heart for this. And, you know, and for me it was like, are, are we ready to start a family and things like that? And it was just the Lord giving us both a piece. And so I think also not only does the Lord, I, I love what you said, the Lord speaks to us all all the time and we need to be talking to each other about that especially a spouse a family member and just brothers and sisters in the body because if he's telling your brother or sister something that you need to hear we need to be talking about that and only by discussing it together and realizing that the holy spirit had had led us to that did we decide that that it was time and then he laid out everything and everybody else was like that's crazy and stuff and we're like it's working and we're really, really happy. And so it's, it's not for you to say. It's for what the Lord had provided. And so just being in community with other believers and having the Lord speak to you as a unit or as a body really stood out to us. Great. Thanks, Katie. Oh, here's my tongue. Carly wanted me to show you. <laughs> we need proof that this is real, okay? It's not legit. That's funny. Macker? I think I would echo everything that the last two people have said. I think we have to really believe that, that we're going to be spoken to. If we, you know, we really have to believe that God is going to interact with us. And so I know in my life, in different places where that's happened, uh, one specific one I remember when I was younger in Christ, I really felt like 
situationally, I was supposed to say something. It was a word of encouragement or a word of wisdom or something. And I was really battling with whether or not that was God speaking to me or if it was the pizza that I ate the day before or whatever. And so I, honest to God, I just said, well, God, if this is really you speaking to me, then you're going to have to, you're just going to have to let me know. Mm -hmm. And about a second later, another person in the congregation said, somebody has a word that they need to speak right now. Mm -hmm. And I about fell over because I knew it was me. Mm -hmm. Um, So those kinds of things that have happened along in my life have encouraged me that God does speak and that he does speak to us all the time. And situationally, that is the case. And also, I would say that if we don't walk in those things and and work on building our faith and our understanding of God that he's Mm -hmm. speaking to us, then we're never going to say the things that maybe he's telling us to do. So I've said some, a lot of times I'll preface things when I'm praying. This may be, weigh this out for yourself. Is this something that God is speaking to you? Because if we don't practice, Mm -hmm. and even that, if we don't practice or if we don't walk in those things, we're never going to know in ourselves when it really is God speaking or not. So it's a both. It's believing that it does happen and then walking in it and not being afraid that, you know, with love that you're, you know, Jesus really does want and does want to give you something or give some, for you for something somebody else. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Yeah, I love it when God uh, affirms, you know, and he does that in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's with other people. He uses his word a lot uh, to, to affirm. Sometimes it's even visions, like what Paul got here, which, you know, would have been awesome dreams, you know. But um, uh, the, the one time I was kind of thinking about as you were talking was actually uh, I was a, like a senior in, I'm sorry, I was maybe like a sophomore in college, and uh, and it was like a Sunday night church service, you know? Sunday night church service, remember those days? Those churches? And uh, and just sitting there, and and, um, and, uh, we were kind of doing like the the invitation, you know? Remember the invitation days also, you know, at the end of the service? And uh, and and so I'm sitting there, and and, uh, God begins to say, he's like, I want you to do something, I want you to do something. And I was like, oh man, you know? And so I'm I'm trying to figure out what he wanted me to do, uh, and and just like out of the blue, he said, "I want you to surrender your life to, the, to my ministry. Like I, I want I want you to serve a, a, on staff at a church, you know, to do that thing." And I was like, "Okay, that's wrong. Like that was that was not a part of my plan at all. I was I was in college to get a business degree uh, to make money and and to do all of those things." Uh, and he's saying, you know, I, 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 this is what I want for you. This is what I want for you. And I remember sitting there and saying, God, if you want me to do that, you have to tell me out loud that you want me to do that. And in that moment, the guy doing the invitation said, there's somebody in this room that needs to surrender their life to the ministry. And I was like, crap. <laughs> and I got up and I was like, man, that, you know, that's what God's saying. And, and, uh, and so that began a process of, of, at that moment, you know, trusting in God that took years to develop. You know, it wasn't like, you know, I was on staff at a church the next day. But, but God does plant those, and he affirms it on, in a lot of different ways. And uh, so I appreciate you guys having that conversation. I think it's just real edifying for us to share with one another and, and to preach to one another and, you know, share about how we interact with God. And, and uh, we can keep those, those conversations going in our, in our home communities. Uh, so Paul gets this vision, and, and him and Timothy and Silas decide to, uh, to go to Macedonia, uh, to a place that uh, no one has been uh, yet with the, with the gospel. Uh, and it uh, picks up in, in verse 11. So setting sail for Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, uh, for, from there to Philippi. So it's these three cities that are pretty close together um, over in Macedonia, uh, which is a leading city 
of the, of, uh, the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Uh, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of uh, Theateria, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after that she was baptized in her household as well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so they go to, um, to Philippi here, and they get to the city. It's a leading Roman city. And like Paul, typical, like he, why he circumcised Timothy, they go to the local synagogue, which does not exist. So you had to have at least 10 Jews living in a city to have a synagogue. And obviously there are no uh, believers. There are no Jews or no, you know, um, whether they be God-fearers, uh, really meeting in the city. And so their next logical conclusion is we will go to a place near the river. So if there is any believers, people that believe, who fear God, they're probably close to a river because they would need the river for all the purification aspects of the faith, which would be uh, part of being a Jew. So he goes to this place on the river that he assumes if there are any believers, they'll be in this place. And, and, and lo and behold, he gets there and there's a group of women uh, that, are, that are meeting together in a place of prayer. And he, he meets this lady um, named Lydia and she's a seller of purple goods. Now Luke's going to do something really interesting here. Uh, he's going to tell three different stories of three different people. He's going to tell a rich woman He's going to tell about a poor girl, um, and then he's going to pick somebody right in the middle, a, a, a soldier. And so he's going to basically, t- he's picking stories that span the gamut of socioeconomic, um, whether it be race, a social status, economics, and he's going to say, hey, the gospel's for everybody. And that's why we're, he's telling these specific stories. And so Lydia is very wealthy. She makes purple uh, fabric, so she works probably for some, uh, someone who is extremely wealthy, making clothing for her. Uh, and, and he sits down and he begins to, to tell her, it says, uh, and the Lord opened uh, her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, as she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house, stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so I love this picture of what we see here of Paul going, speaking the gospel to someone being obedient to go. Uh, we don't know why this particular lady, I love to like fantasize that the man that came to her in the dream is her, maybe the spirit of her husband or something like that. You never know what God could do because she's a widow. And so maybe it's her husband saying, my wife doesn't know Christ. Would you go and tell my wife? You know, like that's not scripture. That's just me imagining. Like that'd be pretty cool, you know, if that's the dream. And so Paul goes and he, and he tells this lady about God. And right then there's an, an obvious transformation in her life because it says that God opened her heart to believe, uh, which is that stirring inside of our heart when God comes in and he says, this is truth. This is the way I made things to be. And then it says that she was baptized, but not only her, her household as well. Isn't that awesome? Lydia being the leader of her household, when she came to Christ, it filtered down to not only her children, if she had children, but all of her servants, all of the people that would have lived in this, in this uh, commune type. They, they lived together as a group of people. It says that all of her household got saved. 
leaders of your family, that is a call to you of what God can do in your heart and how that can affect all of your children all the way down the line to your social influence. Because when God comes in, he does change you. We see that with Lydia because then automatically hospitality is is the fruit of the spirit that comes to her. That's why hospitality is a part of our pathways. That's a a natural outproducing of God inside of us, wanting to be hospitable, wanting to serve. And so it says that she has to beg Paul, like to let them come into the house. And finally she prevailed upon them. Paul is so humble. He's like, I don't want to receive help because I don't want you to confuse what we're here for. I'm not here uh, to try to get you to give me things. I'm here to give you something. So Lydia prevails upon him and she's able to serve them. So just notice God coming, speaking, opening her heart. It's followed by a baptism, which brings the spirit, which produces this hospitality and it filters down to the rest of her family. I love that, man. I want to see that happen more in my family. You know, I want to see that happen more in the people that I'm going and sharing the gospel with. So I think it's just a beautiful picture for us to look at and to say, man, God, I would love to see this. How do you want to do this in my life? Who is the Lydia in my life that you want me to go and share with? So after that, uh, he's going to keep going. It says in verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer. So he probably went there consecutive days. Paul didn't go to one place, do the evangel bomb and leave. You know, a lot of times he stayed and he worked with those people and he wanted to build health in his absence. You like evangel bomb? And, uh, and so, and so he, they're going back to this place of prayer and they met a slave girl this time. So far other end of the economic spectrum from Lydia. We met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. So she is possessed by a spirit, which we know is an evil spirit, because divination is one of those things that the Bible constantly says, this is not of God, this is not of God. It's the ability to tell the future many times. Uh, It's the ability uh, that uh, that an evil spirit, we believe there's spirits, there's there's, uh, good spirits or angelic, evil spirits or demonic. That's part of our our theology as a church. She is possessed by an evil spirit that gives her a supernatural power to be able to tell the future. And so it says that she's possessed by the spirit, and that spirit brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So this girl is not only possessed by an evil spirit, she is owned by someone who is using her to make money. Talk about human depravity, that someone would look into that and say, ooh, I can make money there. Can you think of a situation in our culture where girls are owned to make money for someone else? Sex trafficking. It's huge. It's an enormous problem in our culture, especially here in Portland. And we're actually going to watch a video about it in just a second. But I want to continue to read the story. It says, So she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, (laughs) turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So it's really interesting. So the Spirit's response to Paul and Silas is to start chanting this phrase, uh, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Seems like a good thing, right? Like, thank you, God. I, I get an announcer to follow me around. Well, the problem was, in this culture, someone yelling that out would not have been interpreted the same way that we do as followers of God, or even as Jews. Remember, there's very few Jews here. It's all Greeks. It's all Romans. To them, the phrase Most High God is who to a Greek. 
Zeus, yeah. Zeus is the most high God. And the way of salvation, that's what they were all trying to pursue, was to find what life is all about. They weren't looking to Jesus. So notice the manipulation of Satan in using this demonic spirit to try to affect Paul and Silas and Timothy in the most, in the most you know, just tricky ways. And that's how Satan works. We can identify that in our lives. And so she's hollering this out. And so I would imagine Paul, every time she hollers this out and people gather, they're like, it's Zeus. You remember when they did that uh, back in Lystra, when Billy talked through, remember when they said, oh, it's Zeus and Hermes are here. Let's sacrifice some animals. Paul's like, no, 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 no. So eventually Paul gets tired of this and he calls that spirit out of her and he rescues her. And there's going to be a dramatic effect that's going to happen from him doing this. It says, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. I love that. Let's go disturb a city, you know. Uh, They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So we have a girl that's possessed by a demon, owned by men to make money. Paul comes in, he calls the demon out, and automatically he kills the business, right? That's what the gospel does. It, it, it not only brings us, it not only saves us from the sin, it also affects culture. It affects the broken depravity of the world when it comes in and changes something. And so I, I, when I read this passage, Nathan uh, Conant had, had connected with a guy uh, named Thomas Perez with, uh, with something called the Epic Project. Uh, and my hope was that Thomas could be here today to talk to us about it, but he, he's an elder at the House of Providence and, and had to, he had another obligation that he couldn't make it, but that doesn't stop us from watching a video. Uh, so I want us to watch a video about what the Epic Project is, keeping in mind how does the gospel change not only deliver us from sin, but how does it change culture when it affects human trafficking? And so these guys are going to show this. It's about a five-minute video. Um, and so uh, Thomas particularly uh, talks to men, you know. It's a, it's a men created this problem. It's time for us to end it. Uh, and we do want to hopefully find a time in his schedule when he can come and, and continue to talk to us and address us uh, guys. But particularly what can you do is, is he said those two things. You, you can give, which is $13 a month, to Epic Project, and that goes to SARC, the, uh, the Sexual Assault Resource Center. Um, you can go on their webpage to do that, uh, which you saw at the end there at epicproject.org. But also, we can begin very proactively to change culture. How would we as men change that culture of, of, of sex, of, of prostitution? Like, what would that look like, guys? Participation in what we look at online, whether that be porn, which which is, is such a lucrative business, which fuels that industry, uh, it can start there. It can become even more simply as I have girls in my household. You know, how am I how am I raising up my girls? 
to be princesses, not prostitutes. You know, what am I allowing into my home? What do I watch? You know, what's acceptable and what's not? I mean, you, we can start and completely change culture in, in a lot of different ways, but it's beginning to see the influences that our choices have uh, and how it's filtering down. And I believe that God has called us to be culture changers. That's what God did when he divinely intervened into human history. He forever changed everything, the way that we interacted with him. Uh, forgiveness. And he's, con- he's given us that message of reconciliation. It's not a message of just selfishness that we can live however we want and our consequences don't affect anybody else. So it starts with us. That's a personal call. So um, I wanted to play that and I, and I really want to have Thomas continue to come. On that website, they, they teach you to tell a better man story. And there's a lot of videos of guys just telling their stories of how they went from from contributing to this sex industry to now changing it uh, for the gospel. And so I'd encourage uh, men, women uh, to go in there and and read it. Um, And I love that that's the example of what we see here in this scripture of this girl that uh, the demon is is called out um, and it it forever changes. But there's consequences when you do that. You know, when you change culture, uh, when you are willing to take a stand for the gospel, you're going to have to sacrifice something. And we see here, Paul, he winds up uh, being thrown into prison. But not only that, he winds up being beaten before he's thrown into prison. Now, this is kind of interesting because Paul and Silas, as Roman citizens, they had rights, like you guys have rights as American citizens. And two of those rights were, you will not be punished without a trial, and you will not be thrown in prison for as punishment without a trial. You can be put in prison to be held for the night, and, but that's not their intention here. They never went to the courts here. They go to just city officials, the magistrates, and the magistrates tell the police, and the police are these guys that had these big bundle of long wooden sticks, and, and they beat them and put them in prison, violating their rights. Now just think about that once again. Paul was a Roman citizen, right? Uh, Silas, Roman citizens. That's why he chose these guys to go on the journey with them so that they could have free access in the Roman Empire. Why didn't Paul pull out his citizen card and say, hey, you can't do that to me. We don't think like that, do we? Like there, there had to have been a plan to the suffering, right? What was Paul thinking in doing that? Well, then we get to keep reading the story here. Look, and so I think all of this is Paul just listening to God, listening to his spirits, saying, God, what do you want me to do in this circumstance? Here's what I want to do. I want to run. What do you want to do? Oh, you want me to be beaten and thrown in prison. Why? Why would you want that? Look what happens in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. Really similar story as Lydia, right? 
He, he's presented. God opens up his heart. At this time, it says he asked, what must I do to be saved? I just saw this incredible work. I, there was an earthquake. All of your chains fell off, and then you guys didn't go anywhere. There's got to be something going on here. You guys have had those times in your life when you've said, there's got to be something going on here. You remember that moment when, when you realized that God wasn't just an idea and he wasn't a fad? He was, he was life-changing. There was something to this thing called Christianity. That's what the jailer realizes, and it forever changes him. He believes in the Lord Jesus, uh, and, and it says they continue to speak the word of the Lord to him, explain the gospel to him, and then it filters down into his whole household. And he's baptized, and then fruits of the Spirit are produced. He brings them into his house. He washes their wounds. It's this beautiful picture of, of, of Jesus and, and all that happened to him. That's what the good news of the gospel does, is it, is, is it, changes, it changes everything. And it was all because uh, Paul and Silas were just willing to listen to God and say, God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to go to prison? Okay, I'll, I'll go to prison. And then they're singing songs in prison, and all the other prisoners are listening to him. Man, I don't understand God, but I love this story. It brings me so much hope for all that God can do. And so we're running out of time here, and and so I want to wrap it up. It says in verse 35, But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to you to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to him, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. And have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out in secret? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these things to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And so look at what's produced out of Paul saying, okay, God, I'll go to prison. A a jailer is saved. But not only that, because of the public apology, Paul went from being a disturber of the peace to being well-liked by the city officials. That you want, whatever you want to do, you want to have free reign, you go and do that. And so they go to Lydia and they encourage the brothers and sisters. That's not how I would have done that, guys. I I would not have chosen to go that route. But that's what God does when we listen to him. It's not what, we're, what we think it'll be. But man, when he does it, you're like, that was God. And he does this amazing thing. So uh, I just want to kind of end there. I, I really wish we could keep going, but we're, uh, it's getting late. Uh, continue to read in chapter 17 as, as Paul's going to go down to Athens and continue on this journey. And then we'll pick back up next week. Uh, we want to close just in a time of worship and response to God's word, to taking uh, the communion. And the communion is for those who believe. Uh, those who believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that's what we do when we go and we break the bread and the juice, remembering the sacrifice that was paid for our sins. If you don't know Christ, and like the jailer, you want to know how you can be saved, we would love to talk to you about that. Uh, You can talk to myself, you can talk to uh, Doug over here, uh, Royce and Monica, if you want to talk to a lady. You're not Monica, raise your hand, Monica. That's Monica. Talk to Monica and Robin, and Macker's going to be up on the stage, so that would be awkward while he's playing the ukulele, but however you feel led. So if you want to come on up, and uh, I just want to pray for us, and, and we'll spend some time in, in response to God. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. This has been so encouraging uh, just to see uh, all that, that you do, Father, uh, just the ways that you break us of, of all our natural tendencies, 
uh, of what we want, of our sinful desires, and you come in and you work and you use us for your glory. And I thank you not only for these stories that we heard in the scriptures, but also the stories in our own lives, the stories like Doug's of of uh, just seeing you work and, and understanding your plan for his life. And that just, uh, man, God, that allows us to come before you and sing these songs with honesty, uh, with open hearts to you. I thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. You didn't have to do that, God. You didn't have to send your son. We deserved uh, justice for the things that we have done. We deserved to be punished for our sin and rebellion to you. But instead, you took the punishment for our sins. God, thank you for your plan. It's so beautiful. And so right now, Father, we just want to respond to you in, in truth and in, in praise to your name and in remembrance of what you've done. Uh, thank you that your spirit is here dwelling among us, that you are living in us and through us, and that right now you can hear our praises and our prayers. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.